Okay, we've been going through our series called The Shepherd's Crook. The comfort of discipline. That's the, the, the catch of that. It's the comfort of discipline. And understanding that the rod and the staff, they comfort, right? Because discipline is not about being punished. Can we all agree on that? If not, I'm going to give you some, some proof today. I'm going to try to convince you to not believe what I'm telling you, but I'm trying to convince you today to press into your intimacy, to press into your union with Holy Spirit and ask him about it. Okay, so the title today is Unpunishable. And I want to make sure right up front we understand the difference between discipline and punishment as it relates to the kingdom. Because if you look up the definition of each one in the dictionary, it can go either way. You could use discipline in place of punishment and punishment in place of discipline. Everybody's heard that, right? And depending on your upbringing, your background, those words can just be the same, interchangeable, right? But in the kingdom, it's not so. Discipline is about character improvement. It's about your growth. And that's what the Father wants for you in discipline. It's for your good. That's why the psalm says, the rod, your rod and your staff comfort me. Right? We wouldn't think of being comforted by a rod and a staff in the natural, right? So are you right now, show of hands, are you right now, are you unpunishable? Okay. Why is it important to know whether or not you can be punished? Why do you need to know the answer to this question? Just take a second in your head and think about your answer. Why is it important to know this? For me, it matters because it affects how you show up. You're either going to show up in fullness or you're not, depending on whether or not you are in fear of punishment. Because if you don't hold fast to the belief that you are, in fact, within your present reality, unpunishable, you won't show up in fullness because you're fearful of what's to come. You're fearful of the punishment, which means you're going to do one of two things. You're going to isolate and you're not going to be around anybody or you're going to wear a mask. What do you do come into when you come in here or any place else, right? You're not going to show up in fullness because of fear. So how do you know that you're unpunishable? Where's the proof that says so? Yeah, let's say you do agree with me, which most of you said yes. Uh, how do you back that up? All right, we're gonna we're gonna go through a few different places in Scripture, and this is gonna kind of build on each other because, I, again, I'm not trying to convince you that you're unpunishable. I'm trying to convince you to take this into a conversation with Holy Spirit. Right, exercise some spiritual discipline of your own responsibility to take it into that conversation. So we're going to start in Hebrews 2. And we're going to go through the whole chapter, uh, but we're going to kind of break it up a little bit. All right? Okay, here we go. Hebrews 2. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. Because this is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths 
that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. If you're drifting off course, it's because you have divided attention. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. You need to be giving undivided attention to Jesus, right? Taking your eyes off Jesus and where he's taking you is a sure way to drift and become less effective or just not effective at all for the kingdom. All right, verse 2. For if the message of the law spoken and confirmed by angels brought us a just penalty to every disobedient violation, then how would we expect to escape punishment if we despise the very truths that give us life? The Lord himself was the first to announce these things, and those who heard him firsthand confirmed their accuracy. Then God added his witness to theirs. He validated their ministry with signs, astonishing wonders, all kinds of powerful miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he distributed as he desired. What are you hearing in that? What do you hear there? And my hope is that you're catching uh, what's left unspoken in this warning that opens up Hebrews 2. And what's, what's not necessarily spoken is that you need to be all the more engaged with who you are. Be all the more engaged with who you are. And by staying focused on Jesus and the truth of who he is and what he did for us, I hope that you can begin to take hold of, of three different things. One's your inclusion, inclusion uh, sonship, and your authority. In inclusion, you've been made part of the Trinity, right? You've been pulled into oneness through what Jesus did on the cross. You've been grafted into the family, right? Right. Okay, good. Thanks. You have access to the the Father, Son, and Spirit at all times, no matter what you've done or what's been said over you. Sometimes things are spoken over us that, that can cause us to fear, that can push us into isolation or cause us to wear a mask. If you find that, that for whatever reason you've done something or something's been spoken over you that pushes you into isolation or that makes you want to hide behind a mask, you need to access, you need to use your access right then, immediately. Run to the Father and point that out to Him. Bring it to the people you share oneness with. Bring it into the light because it loses power. Right? That's your inclusion. And your sonship, this goes beyond inclusion because this comes with status. And the status is, is that you are an heir to the kingdom. You have access right here, right now, to your inheritance, and you don't have to wait for anybody else to die. You have access to your inheritance right here, right now. Nobody else has to die for you to have that access. Right? Jesus died. You can have it if you, if you want it. It's yours. Plain and simple. And the third thing I mentioned, your authority. As, you know, as God's kids, we have the authority that is backed up by the one who sits on the throne. And not only that, you have to remember that you are co-seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Right? Yes? Okay. 
And for, for believers, that is just a, an indisputable fact that you are right now bilocated in another realm. You're included, you're a son, and you have authority. Right? So be more engaged with it. In that engagement, you're going to discover further proof of your unpunishable label. All right, let's continue on verse 5. For God will not place the coming world of which we speak under the government of angels, but the scriptures affirm, what is man that you would even think about him or care about Adam's race? You made him lower than the angels for a little while. You placed your glory and honor upon his head as a crown, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, for you have placed everything under his authority. This means that God has left nothing outside of the control of his son, even if presently we have yet to see this accomplished. But we see Jesus, who as a man lived for a short time lower than the angels and has now been crowned with glorious honor because of what he suffered in his death. For it was by God's grace that he experienced death's bitterness on behalf of everyone. There's more proof right there, right? Jesus experienced the consequences of our sin so we wouldn't have to. And it's, in, it's important to understand that the result of sin is a consequence and not a punishment. Right? Punishment is something that's given to you. A consequence is just the natural result of the action, right? So the natural result of sin has a consequence, God is not punishing you when you experience a negative outcome as a result of sin. But I do want to be careful so that you don't think that I'm associating negative outcomes with sin because that's not the case. You can experience a negative outcome and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's some sin in your life that's unrepentant and hasn't been brought into life. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Not every negative consequence is a result of sin. I'm talking about the direct result of sin, right? In the Bible, it's called the wage. The wages of sin is, help me out. There you go, death, right? A wage is earned through your actions, right? Yes? When you get a paycheck, do you see that as a punishment? Or is that the wage from your actions? You don't, you don't see your paycheck as a punishment, do you? It's, the, it's just the natural consequence of your work, right? So Jesus experienced the wages of our sin, which leaves you to focus on what the Father is doing without fear of the consequences associated with sin. So I hope you're starting to see the importance of being engaged with who you are so you show up in fullness. See that you show up in the fullness of who you are. All right, verse 10. For now he towers above all creation, for all things exist through him and for him. And that God made him pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his sufferings. For this is how he brings many sons and daughters 
to share in his glory. You share in his glory. There's further evidence right there. And I like the term evidence also because it makes me think of a courtroom. Right? So there's all this evidence that can be brought into the courtroom that shows you're unpunishable. That shows you have salvation. That shows that you're righteous. And this is evidence that's presented and overrules any accusation that you may be hearing inside of your head. We're going to talk about accusations in a minute. Just remember that this is the evidence. So I use the word proof and evidence kind of interchangeably here. But when you think about these things, just think about the evidence that's presented in a courtroom. This is the evidence that's presented that calls you unpunishable. Verse 11, Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. And as sons and daughters, we now belong to his same father. So he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. For he has said, I will reveal who you really are to my brothers and sisters. And I will glorify you with praises in the midst of the congregation. And my confidence rests in God. And again, he says, here I am one with the children Yahweh has given me. There's more evidence right there. Here I am, one with the children Yahweh has given me. You're one with him. Verse 14, excuse me, verse 14. Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. Jesus annihilated the effects of the accuser who held the power of death against us. He didn't hold his own power against us. He held the power of death against us. He doesn't have that power. And death doesn't have that power anymore either. It's been annihilated, right? So you're free unto the service of Jesus. And Pepper talked about this last week. Your freedom isn't just for the sake of being free. It's not just for the sake of, oh, I can go do whatever I want now. You're free unto the service of Jesus now. So we're going to jump over to, we're going to interrupt here. We'll come back to Hebrews in just a minute. Uh, But I want to jump over to Revelation 12. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. Because then a terrible war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the great dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but the dragon did not have the power to win, and they could not regain their place in heaven. So the great dragon was thrown down once and for all. He was the serpent, the ancient snake called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole earth. He was cast down into the earth and his angels along with him. Then I heard a triumphant voice in heaven proclaiming, Now salvation and power are set in place, and the kingdom reign of our God and the ruling authority of his anointed one are established. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who relentlessly accuse them 
day and night before our God has now been defeated, cast out once and for all. They conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. They triumphed because they did not love and cling to their own lives, even when faced with death. So rejoice, you heavens, and every heavenly being. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. You should be rejoicing at that. As one that's co-seated, right, bi-located in another realm right now, your heavenly being, and you should be rejoicing. Remember, you need to know who you are, know whose you are, know where you are, and know why you are. And there's one big reason I wanted to jump over there real quick, and, and that was to have you catch that Satan and his little minions were cast out of heaven and down to earth. We're going to jump over to Luke 10 now, and we're going to read verses 17 to 23. When the 70, excuse me, when the 70 missionaries returned to Jesus, they were ecstatic with joy, telling him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we commanded them in your name. Jesus replied, while you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. Then Jesus, overflowing with the Holy Spirit's anointing of joy, exclaimed, Father, thank you, for you are Lord supreme over heaven and earth. You have hidden the great revelation of this authority from those who are proud, those wise in their own eyes, and you have shared it with these who humbled themselves. Yes, Father, this is what pleases your heart and the very way you've chosen to extend your kingdom, to give to those who become like trusting children. Father, you have entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. No one fully knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to introduce and reveal the Father to anyone he chooses. When Jesus was alone with the twelve, he said to them, You are privileged to see and hear all these things. Many kings and prophets of old long to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. They would have given everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear. Yet they didn't get to see as much as a glimpse or even a whisper. Okay, why do we take this detour to Revelation and Luke? It's because I wanted you to recognize the fact that Satan no longer has the ear of God to accuse you. If you believe what this says, he's been cast out of heaven and he no longer has the access to accuse you before God. And that's important to remember. There's no one or no thing that can speak to God with an accusation leveled against you. So why would you hear yourself being accused? Why would you have thoughts that you're being accused of accusation? 
It's because the only one Satan can make accusations to about you is you. You may hear it come through another, another person. You may hear it personally yourself. But you are the one hearing the accusations, not God. He'll whisper in your ear, you know, all the things to get you to have divided attention, to get you unfocused from Jesus. Right? I can I can sit here and, and pretend to build a wall of bricks, right? I just did that. You can't see me now. Is that true? No. Thank you. No, it's not true. Right? The walls that we build up when we hear these accusations only exist in your mind. When you start to isolate, when you start to hide behind a mask, you're fearing punishment that isn't real. The only thing you're missing out on is the comfort of discipline. That's it. That's what you're missing out on. You're missing out on the growth that God has for you. And it only takes your divided attention. It only takes a moment for you to take your eyes off Jesus to start believing these accusations and hide and run away. That makes you less likely to engage who you are. Throughout all of this, you should be able to see your inclusion, your sonship, your authority. Right? All leading to the point that we're trying to get to today. You are, in fact, unpunishable, and you need to let go of the fear that holds anticipation of punishment. You've got to let go of that fear. You're privileged to sit co-seated with Jesus right now. You're privileged to be included in union with the Father, Son, and Spirit. You're privileged to hold the title of Son. And you're privileged to wield authority and exercise dominion from the kingdom. I want to go one more place before we, uh, before we go back to Hebrews. It's Romans 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. As I write to you, dear brothers and sisters, who are familiar with the law, don't you know that when a person dies, it ends his obligation to the law? For example, a married couple is bound by the law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of the marriage. So then if a wife is joined to another man while still married, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she is obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. When we were merely living natural lives, the law, through defining sin, actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted in bearing the fruit of death. But now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, 
we are dead to what once controlled us. And our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete, obsolete way of following the written code so that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what shall we say about all this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. For example, when the law said, do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. I once lived without a clear understanding of the law. But when I heard God's commandments, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. Sin, by means of the commandment, built a base of operation within me to overpower me and put me to death. So then we have not, <clears throat> excuse me, so then we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy and its commandments are correct and for our good. So did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin. It could be seen for what it was. So it could be seen for what it was. But we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm. But I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. So what, what do we see here? We see that the law exposed sin and its consequence. Right, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. But we know that was annihilated by Jesus, right? So why would you divide your attention to something that has been annihilated and made powerless? Why would you do that? Why would you divide your attention away from Jesus? Really, I, I just want you to be able to recognize and embrace who you are. Before the cross, we were judged worthy of punishment, right? Because the law exposed the sin in our lives and there was a consequence associated with sin. But now because of Jesus, you're judged worthy of love, mercy, grace, inclusion, sonship, right? Embrace and engage with who you are. You'll continue to hide in fear of punishment as long as your attention is divided from Jesus. And I can't stress that enough. Your attention must be given undivided to Jesus. Excuse me. Okay, let's pick back up in Hebrews 2, verse 16. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. This is why he had to be made a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. You see, Jesus embraced death 
to annihilate its power for you. He took hold of your humanity in every way possible. Every way. There wasn't one single bit of him that didn't have a full understanding of humanity through his lived experience. It goes on and says, He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king-priest before God as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. His suffering and endurance It allows you to pass through any ordeal that's thrown your way. Any accusation you're hearing in your mind. He's given you the power to deal with that, right? You can pass through that. It's just part of who you are. You are more than an overcomer, correct? Engage with it. Don't give ear to the accuser. Don't be the accuser either. Don't allow yourself to be used in that capacity. We do have a tendency to do that without even realizing it. Because we lose our own focus. We allow our own focus to be divided from Jesus. So I hope you're seeing the importance of undivided attention that Holy Spirit called us to a couple weeks ago. Right? Enough is enough when it comes to Losing that intense gaze, that eye-to-eye contact, that focus you have with Jesus. For me, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, especially now. Starting to hear these accusations coming at me. And picturing who it is standing in front of me that's giving these accusations. In that picture, though, it, it's, it, it's been interesting to kind of step to the side and look over the shoulder of the accuser and see Jesus standing back there. And having him affirm who it is I, that I am. And then it's just a matter of engaging with that. I can hear these things and say, okay, I repent of that. Watch it shrink. It's simple. But you have to be able to recognize it. You have to be able to look for Jesus in these situations. If you don't, it's easy to take these things on and and then just shrink back. Because if I'm not engaging who I am, I'm less likely to be accused. One of the big takeaways with this uh, that I want you to get is that if you are not showing up in fullness, the rest of us are missing out. This is an important piece of understanding being unpunishable. Of knowing who you are, knowing what it is that you carry. Because if you don't show up, the rest of us are going to suffer. We don't get the full picture of the kingdom that you bring. All of us bring a piece of that. Every single one of you. As I was thinking about that, 
I thought about a few years back, um, late 90s, a few years back. Uh, I was uh, early in my Army career, I was in a reconnaissance unit, and every Monday we did a really long run. Uh, it was eight and a half miles every Monday. And it wouldn't always happen, but it often happened. We would have people who weren't bringing their best to this time. They were not showing up in fullness to this event, and they would fall out of the formation. And so we would have to slow down. And so we had a lot of different options at this point to try and motivate them to get back into the formation and continue running at the pace of everyone else. We could yell and scream. That didn't really work. There was a point where we could take part of that, that route and do the loop, this one loop again, which made it about 12 miles long. That was an option. Third option that we had was the people falling out, the rest of us slow down, we get hold of this person, and we carry them. And we carry them back. And what I was really realizing is the importance of this was, is, it is not, that was not a tool to make the rest of the formation suffer by having to carry this person who wasn't showing up in fullness. What it was, it was reiterating the fact that we all need to be showing up in fullness all the time. If we're not, everyone's going to suffer. It's going to slow down the entire formation. It slows all of us down if we are not showing up in fullness. So if you're hiding because of fear of punishment, you're not going to be showing up in fullness. Don't hide from that. Engage with who you are. Bring whatever that is out into the light. And let the people around you love you. Let them judge you with mercy and goodness, with grace, inclusion. Let them remind you of who you are. That's part of that accountability piece. This keeps the entire formation moving quickly. We don't need to slow down. All right, because we are going to stay together. So I asked at the beginning, why is it important to know whether or not you can be punished? It matters because it affects how you show up in fullness or not. You have to hold fast to the belief that you are, in fact, within your present reality, unpunishable. You will show up in fullness because uh, you're then without fear of what's to come. You need to take this into your time with Jesus this week. You need to be engaging with who you are every single day. You're going to hear us talk about that over and over and over every single day. You need to be 
engaging. We've been talking about discipline as it relates to your growth, right? Your character building. But there are the spiritual disciplines as well. Your responsibility in this is to get in the spiritual disciplines and walk this out. Like Angie was talking about, don't let the prophecies just sit dormant. Right? What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? This is a great opportunity this week for you to engage with who you are. For you to really dig into that and engage who you are. Don't let any time go to waste. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you that you are... I thank you that you are exposing fear for what it is. I thank you that you are bringing us into the open. I thank you for giving us a picture of what it means to be unpunishable. And I thank you that you're waiting to break that open for each one of us even more. Lord, we desire to offer a fuller expression of the kingdom. We look forward to doing that every day as we continue to engage with who we are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.